One of the occupational hazards of religious life and indeed running a religious institution is that we can get tunnel vision so quickly. Religious institutions are supposed to have some level of internal consistency after all. And so we collect people and leaders who help us maintain that and sustain that. And this is not just a problem for the Christian church, it's a problem for every religious enterprise that has been around since before recorded history began, before we even had writing to talk about the priests and the prophets and the shamans and the medicine men and the other leaders who held our little religious communities together. The unfortunate thing about that is it can put us into a position often of not only being preservers of the tradition, but also gatekeepers. You know, we get to decide based on our little internal consistent formulas, who's in and who's out. We get to decide when people can come into community and when they can leave community. And we tend to hold the doors sometimes a little bit more tightly than we probably ought to, to put it mildly, right? All of you have experienced this at one time or another. This is, in fact, the problem for Nicodemus when he comes to Jesus under cover of darkness in today's Gospel reading. He comes because he is curious about this itinerant rabbi from the north, this peasant from Galilee who seems to be doing something so remarkable that he has the people's attention. And stories have reached Nicodemus's ears about miraculous healings and remarkably pithy teachings that cut to the heart. So Nicodemus is curious enough that he's willing to throw caution to the wind and step out of his comfort zone just a little bit to find out what this guy, Jesus, is really about. Nicodemus is a member of the Sanhedrin, the high court of ancient Israel. And so he holds sway and he knows the tradition well. He has argued it probably for years with other members of the Sanhedrin. He has probably studied it more than many of us have studied anything in our lives. It comes out of his pores. But as a preserver of the tradition, as a faithful Pharisee in his time, his vision is narrow. Jesus sees that the moment Nicodemus approaches, and so he poses to Nicodemus a paradox. You must be born again from above. Nicodemus, like the rest of us who likes things consistent and orderly and things that make sense, says, how is that possible? The irony is that Jesus is doing precisely the same thing that Nicodemus and his contemporaries have been trained to do. Jesus is going back into the depths of the Torah, the heart of the tradition, and mining that for spiritual inspiration. When Jesus talks about the spirit and the way that it moves, he is appealing to something that is deeper even than Moses, whom he will raise a little bit further in the reading. He is going back to those first verses in Genesis 
where the spirit, the breath of God, is moving over the waters of chaos. God is breathing creation into existence. It's a remarkable image. This sense in which Jesus is inviting Nicodemus to see how we too can be breathed into a new life by God's Spirit. And yet Nicodemus has his tunnel vision blinders on and cannot see, cannot see the forest, if you will, for the trees. Four centuries later, an emperor calls a council of bishops from all over the empire together to settle a fundamental question. Who is Jesus? And what is Jesus' relationship with God? The argument had gotten so fierce that there was blood being shed over the question. Now the emperor, as they say in the south, bless his heart, wanted things consistent. He wanted something consistent so he could hold his fractious and fragile empire together. He knew that if this controversy continued for much longer, it was going to tear the empire apart. The bishops, bless their hearts, were pulling at each other's beards and arguing it out vociferously. But somehow, a miraculous thing happened. They enshrined paradox into the heart of our faith. This remarkable statement about God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet being of one substance, they said, of being a unity. A paradox that today drives people in the pews crazy as we scratch our heads, right, when we say the Nicene Creed that have caused rivers and rivers of ink to be spilled across the centuries. But it's that paradox that does the same thing that Jesus does for Nicodemus. It blows the walls off the institution. It keeps us from getting overly caught up in our blinders so that we can see what God is doing in our midst. Because you see, those bishops back in the fourth century could have chosen a whole host of other paths. Here are just two. One of them is the Platonic path, that God is perfect and so far beyond us that we cannot even approach. So much so that we can only strive in this life to attain to be perfect as God is perfect. They could have even found some scripture to back that up. That would have been good in Greek, you know? That's a nice Hellenistic way of resolving the issue. This is a little bit of an anachronism, but it's, it's a good illustration. They could have adopted a kind of deistic god. That was the god of many of our forefathers during the period of enlightenment when this country was founded. The, the god who made the universe and all the laws that govern it. And if we just knew enough about what was going on, we could predict the future because we knew the laws. A god who put all the bits and pieces of the cosmos together, wound it up like a clock, set it on the mantelpiece and let it run. Also a god of great distance. A god inaccessible to us. But no, this was not the god that Jesus discloses to Nicodemus 
nor the God disclosed in the same scripture that Nicodemus and Jesus shared, nor the God that those bishops in the fourth century would embrace. Instead, we get a God who is manifest in personhood. A God who as, is as intimate to us as a lover. A God who says to the ancient Israelites, you are not just my people or my servants. You are my spouse, my beloved. I am part of you. I am with you. A God who generated creation not by winding it up like a clock, but by breathing life into chaos. A God who we say is born amongst the muck and the straw at Christmas time. A God who embraces suffering in this life as well as the joy. A God who loves to be in relationship and sit at table with the outsiders as well as the insiders. A God who walks among us and speaks with us. A God who blows through the lives of the disciples at Pentecost so that the gospel may be shared with people who have yet to hear it. A God who is closer to you and to me than even our next breath. God who is person so that all personhood is elevated in dignity and grace. A God fundamentally of relationship. A God who embraces paradox and who lives both inside and outside the walls of the institution. This is the God whom Britain is about to embrace in baptism. This is the God we come back to week by week, day by day, moment by moment, in prayer, in fellowship, and in sacrament. Nicodemus is intrigued enough by this idea that later in John's Gospel we hear that he will stand up in the Sanhedrin and really put his neck on the line by asking that Jesus receive a fair hearing. Nicodemus is so inspired, in fact, that he will come after the crucifixion and help to bury Jesus. Something has blown the walls off Nicodemus' tightly consistent worldview. It's that disclosure of a God who is at work in every single moment of our lives. Not just the miracle worker of the past, not just the creator who started it all, but a God who is intimately part of everything we are and everything we know. That's the glory of the Trinity, working among us, constantly disclosing among us God's love blowing the walls off our institutions so that we may welcome new people in, so that we may reach out in compassion and love to others, and so that our lives, like Christ, may be filled with the divine and that we may live from glory to glory. 
This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.